All right, church, open with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 84 is where we're going to be tonight. This is Seb's favorite psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms as well. Spurgeon called it the pearl of the psalms. It is descriptive of what you find in the heart of a true worshiper, a longing for God. It is fitting for this evening. And let's read together Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are very grateful for the chance to meet with you again and to open up your word. We long for your presence. We long for your comfort. We long for the joy and the peace that we have in Christ. So I pray, Father, that as we search this psalm, that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal to us, Lord, where in our hearts we are not longing for you as we should, are not resting in you as we should, not trusting as we should. And we pray again tonight that you would fix our eyes on you. We ask in your holy name, amen. amen. The story behind the authorship of Psalm 84 really is a story of the great grace of God. It goes all the way back to the, the time just after the Exodus when God called Israel to be his own people among all the nations, that he would be with them as their God. And he gave to the Israelites specific instructions for how they were to worship, the how and the what, the when and the who. And the descendants of Levi were to be set apart for service in the tabernacle, service in the temple later on. And Levi had three sons, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. 
And the descendants of these sons were given specific duties for service in the tabernacle and transport of the items of the tabernacle. The descendants of Gershon and Merari were responsible for items within the tabernacle that could be uh, transported by cart. But the descendants of the, the sons of Kohath were responsible for other items, items that couldn't be put on a cart but had to be carried with, uh, on their shoulders and on poles. And they were not allowed to touch any of these items. The priests themselves had to wrap them up before they could be transported. Now, the priests were also descendants of Kohath, specifically through the line of Aaron. And the work of the Kohathites was arduous. It was difficult. And we see in the, in the book of Numbers some to begin to disdain it and even envy the priests. And one of them rose up and led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. He led a rebellion, and his name was Korah. And number 16 tells the story of that rebellion, how God ended that rebellion by opening up the ground, and the ground swallowed Korah whole and everything that belonged to him. Well, Numbers 26, 11 notes that the sons of Korah did not die for the sin of their father. And that's important because later when David becomes king and he brings the ark into Jerusalem, it's the sons of Korah who were installed as gatekeepers and custodians in the worship of Yahweh. Some of them even became leaders in the choral and orchestral worship of Yahweh in his temple. Now it was God's zeal for holiness and righteousness that had met out judgment against the envy and pride of Korah. And it was the grace of God that did not cut off his descendants from the face of the earth, but they were reestablished in their service to him. And that grace to the sons of Korah has been of great benefit to the church. If we read the superscript to the psalm, Psalm 84, it says, a psalm of the sons of Korah. There are 12 psalms written by the sons of Korah, and when you read through them, you'll pick up this theme, their love for Zion, their love for the temple, which represented God's very presence among the people. They loved God's house, and they loved His service, and some of the most God-centered psalms were written by these sons of Korah. You pick up in their psalms how great it was a, a privilege to them to be with God's people in the temple, to worship God in His house. Gone is the heart of Korah that was filled with pride and envy and the longing for prestige and power, replaced with a heart of humble gratitude, the heart of those who have been changed and touched by the grace of God. This is the heart of a true worshiper a heart that exalts in redemption, that rejoices in the new life that is found, that replaces the fallen state of death. And it is the heart of a true worshiper to see other worshipers made as well, to lead others into praise of this merciful God with whom there is found forgiveness and new life. HBC, do we love to gather together in thankfulness towards our God of great mercies? We are grateful for Seb's passion for the cross and for leading us 
to the throne of grace week in and week out. And as I unpack Psalm 84, this is a, a call to worship this psalm. My hope is that it would encourage all of us, that it would be an encouragement to Seb as he goes, and as an encouragement to us as well, that we would maintain the heart of true worship. The psalm is neatly divided it's 12 verses, and there are three divisions, four verses for each division, and each, each of these stanzas expresses a blessing upon the true worshiper. And so as we unpack it, we will discover what it, what it looks like, the, the heart of this worshiper, what makes that heart tick. Number one, the heart of a worshiper is a heart made full in his presence, a heart made full in his presence. Three times a year, people would travel to Jerusalem for feasts and for sacrifices. And I believe that as servants of the temple, these sons of Korah wrote this psalm to express the longing that is found in the, the true pilgrim's heart. They had their place in the temple courts, gatekeepers, doorkeepers, ready to welcome those travelers with a song of praise, a song that expresses the supreme worth of the God that they love. Their longing was ever to be near to Him. Their goal was to lead others into His presence and into that longing. So they say in verse 1 and 2, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For the Israelite, the heart of a true worshiper was tied to the temple where God's where his house was, where he dealt with his people. It was not that they believed that God was limited to the temple, but they loved it for what it represented. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, when Solomon built the temple, he said this in verse 6, but will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. The God's presence wasn't limited to the temple, but it was the place of His special presence among His people. God, the infinite Creator, the one holy beyond all measure, saw fit to dwell with man. And so those in the temple who knew Him and loved Him, they knew that it was a condescension beyond and a grace beyond all comprehension. They knew that theirs, the privilege of serving in the temple, of leading others into worship, was a privilege beyond all comparison. So the worshiper longed to be in that house, near to God. We see this longing again and again and again in the sons of Korah. The, the very first psalm that we have chronologically that is ascribed to them is, does anybody know? It's Psalm 42. And what is the very first line of Psalm 42? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And here in chapter 84, verse 3, that longing is expressed even in the form of envy, uh, an envy of sparrows and swallows that made their nests in the temple eaves. They say in verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. At your altars, 
where peace is found in the sacrifice that is provided by God. As magnificent as the temple was, it wasn't the the beauty of the building that drew their hearts. It was that this place was the place of forgiveness, the place of God's embrace and love. Even the sparrow finds a home. That's the, the, those are words of invitation. Come, they're saying, come and know the care and the loving embrace of God. And the heart that belonged to the psalmist is to be our heart today, only even fuller in its understanding, right? Matt Smither says this, he says what in comment on this psalm, what the psalmist so longed for was just a precursor to the true meeting place between God and man. Jesus Christ, we have a fuller understanding of the graciousness of our God. And so we hear that announcement in John 1:14 with awe and with joy, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, we have been reconciled, we have been brought near We sing of amazing love that our King died for you and me. We have been redeemed. And what do the redeemed do? They praise Him. They worship Him. They exalt His name. Thus the first of the three blessings in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are they. The sons of Korah are saying to Israel, to us, Could there be anything better than this truth that God has made a dwelling among us? If there's nothing better than that, then let us sing. Let us praise. Let us lead one another into the blessing of His presence. And so they loved His house. They loved the gathering of His people for this special privilege of enthroning Him on their humble, grateful praise. They loved to meet with the God of grace. Do we love it, HBC? Do we long to be together, to enthrone Him on our praise? Do we find joy in His service? Whatever it is that we do in the church, whatever it is that He calls us to do in the world, do we see that as the privilege that it is? Every cup of tea that is served, every welcome at the door, it's worship. It's service rendered to him. I was speaking with somebody recently, and we were talking about um, church bells and how, you know, church bells in little villages used to toll and ring when it was time to come and worship. We don't, we don't have it anymore, right? And yet this person was saying to me um, how it served such a wonderful purpose in his life. That bell sometimes would drag him out of bed and lead him off to church. Maybe it's something that we should bring back. Well, Charles Spurgeon contrasts the heart of the psalmist with, with those who often really couldn't be bothered by it all, who, or who, if they do come, are, are wistful to be anywhere but in the house of the Lord. He said of the psalmist, he needed no clatter of bells from the belfry to ring him in. He carried his bell In his own bosom, holy appetite is a better call to worship than a full chime. We are to have that that bell, that toll in our hearts, a longing 
for service, for worship, for longing to sing, and a longing that our lives would lead others in that as well. As I said, may you always feel the urge to ring out that call to worship. And church, may our appetite for praise never weaken as we long more and more for His presence among us. Number two, the heart of a worshiper is a heart made strong by His fullness. A heart made strong by His fullness. The vantage point changes from stanza one to stanza two, and it moves to one who is far off from Jerusalem, who longs to be near. Commentators speak of the language in the psalm of as that of a, a holy homesickness, and that's a good description. Have you ever experienced homesickness? doesn't matter where you go. If you're away long enough, you begin to want your own bed, the comforts of your own kitchen. It's especially true if you leave your family. You long to be home with them. And holy homesickness is sometimes a good description of what we feel spiritually. In John 14, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and He says that we are not orphans, that God has made His home with us, but what we have in the Holy Spirit is now just a, a down payment, a guarantee of something greater that's to come, a time when we will dwell forever with Him in perfect peace. And while we live on this earth, there are times where in our hearts it feels and it seems as if God is distant from us, times where presence is more longing than experience. That is often the state of our hearts, isn't it, when we gather for worship, the cares of, of life and the struggles that we go through. We battle and contend with sin and sorrow and trouble, and sometimes it's true, God just does seem far off. We are told in the Scripture to seek Him, to wait for Him, to be moved by action or moved to action by our longing for Him. And so the psalmist takes the blessing of stanza one, and he starts stanza two by giving this blessing new direction. Though God is sometimes far, or He seems far, and though the psalmist is far from Zion in this stanza, still he can know God's blessing. Verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. What a, what a way to describe a true worshiper. One in whose heart are the highways to Zion. At the first hymn sing that my family got to experience in the life of this church, and we have been greatly blessed by those hymn sings, um, we were introduced to a, a song by City of Light that has become a, a favorite in the life of the church, has become one of our favorites. It's called Christ is Mine Forevermore. You know the song we sing? There's a line in that song that has become so dear to my heart. It's been a great comfort uh, in difficult times, brought joy in those times. And the line goes like this, mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. That is the heart of a worshiper. That's what the psalmist is talking about the blessing he's referring to, the strength that comes from knowing that Christ is my greatest treasure. 
It's what transforms our times of trouble. Even when Zion feels far off, when the homesickness is at its worst, he says in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. That Hebrew word Baca is We're not entirely sure what the psalmist is saying. It's a word that sounds similar to the Hebrew word for weeping. And it is also a word that was used of particular types of trees that were called weeping trees, trees that would drip resin and were common in places that were arid and dry. Now, it might just be a play on words. He might just be saying, in the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Or he might actually be referring to a real valley that the pilgrim would travel through on his way to Zion, on his way to Jerusalem. Whatever it is, the picture is clear. It represents times of hardship that tend to cause our souls to feel adrift and far sometimes from God, who is our home. And the encouragement of the psalmist is here, he has this, that God's presence is not limited to Zion. And even if Zion's sweetness cannot be tasted, still God can be our strength. Psalmist wants us to picture the traveler through the desert valley where no water can be easily found. And this traveler will not give up, but he searches and seeks for the signs and digs and digs in the right places until water appears. They make it a place of springs. The psalmist goes on because the ground is not the only source of water even in the desert. In the desert. Sometimes, he says, the early rain provides pools. His point is this, so, so that whether from the ground or from the sky, still there can be water found in the dry valley. And we know that in the dry season of life, there is strength to be found in God. I love what Derek Kidner says in his commentary on this verse. They make it a place of springs, which is a classic statement of the faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. But God may choose to send rain, which comes through nobody's enterprise and can bring a whole area to life, for He has more than one way of dealing with our dryness. Isn't that beautiful? More than one way of dealing with our dryness. Sometimes He calls you to get to work, to dig, to search until you find Him. Sometimes He just says, wait wait, and He sustains us in the waiting. For as Psalm 25 verse 3 says, no one who waits upon the Lord shall be put to shame. Sometimes He sends rain that floods our lives with sweet pools of oasis to nourish. And in all ways, God positions Himself at the center of our need, and He tunes our hearts to find fulfillment in Him. And He never fails to be what we need in the valley of Baca. So blessed, the psalmist says, is he whose strength is in him. God will never ultimately fail in protecting us and leading us home. So he continues, verse 8, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Each traveler is going to reach that destination. And this may not feel like a description of your life right now. Strength to strength. You may be feeling more like it's weakness to weakness, or failure to failure, even sin after sin. 
Even so, the psalm promises an ultimate destination. Each one, each of his children, each one appears before God in Zion. He's saying God's strength will not fail you despite your weakness. And his fullness is all you need, for, for all you need is available. For whoever would cry, verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. The psalmist is modeling the heart of a true worshiper who knows this truth, that though life is filled with days, where it feels in our souls that we, we, we feel the dryness of a vast desert, still God's fullness is all the water that we need. By clinging to this truth, by daring, as Kidna says, to dig out blessings in the valley of Baca, what we actually do in those times is we minister to others as they travel those same dry paths. We lead others in worship. When we can make the valley of Baca a place of springs, we lead others in testimony to the, the value of Christ, and we cause others to see His glory. That's also why we sing, isn't it? We gather to sing because we want to lead others. Some of us are going through the valley of Baca and we want to stir our hearts together. We sing theology to stir our hearts in the valley of Baca to strengthen one another. That singing seems strange to the world, strange to the outsider, but it's precious to us. So again, Seb, we thank you for that ministry. And we charge you, as you go, to remember this, to love people and to lead them in the digging. Lead them in digging out blessings in the Valley of Baca. Number three, the heart of a worshiper is a heart made secure by his promise. A heart made secure by his promise. Finally, in this third stanza, the psalmist shows us that the true heart of a, a servant in the temple is a happy heart, one who serves God from a place of security and happiness. See, service in God's house is never about achieving fame or credit or glory. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not a bargaining chip that we use, uh, wanting out of God the earthly comforts that we desire. We see this heart of the psalmist in verse 10. It's a famous statement on what ultimately matters to the true worshiper. And Psalm 84 verse 10 is something that is echoed throughout Scripture. It's echoed in the hearts of other true worshipers. It's echoed in the words of Paul in Philippians 3 verse 8 where he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We hear it in the words of Peter in John 6 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We hear, hear them in the words of David in Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And in the words of Asaph in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So listen to Psalm 84, verse 10. Imagine the son of Korah at his place in the temple courtyard. Imagine him sing as he welcomes the pilgrim and encourages him on. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'm happy just to be out here in the courtyard. 
I'm happy with whatever menial work I have in his house. I'm happy to serve. I'd rather be a janitor in his presence than have the seat of honor and power amongst the wicked. I'd rather stand on the threshold with my, my head peering in than sit in the place of honor and comfort in their tents. Shane and Shane wrote a song, song based on Psalm 84. And they say this in the song, when I bow down before you, I am richer than all kings. When I stand in your presence, I am free. When I sit at your table, I am right where I belong. In the doorway of my father's house, I'm home. Is that your heart tonight? I just want to be near to you. I just want to be where you are. I just want to serve in my Father's house. I don't need recognition or power or comforts that the, the world offer. I just want to be useful to you, God, no matter what task or role you give to me. I would rather serve in faithfulness and in obscurity than gain the world's glory and praise. I want to say thank you to all of you who, who do serve in this way. Serve in, in the background, not for thanks, but just to experience His smile. Service like that comes from worshipers who rest secure in Him and who know that His presence is fullness of joy, that His fullness gives strength, and that He ultimately never will disappoint the longing of our souls. Maybe for you tonight, this is a struggle. There are times where we don't feel and don't sense God to be that greatest treasure where service is difficult. So the psalmist will close with a truth, and in this truth he wants to lift our eyes to who God is for us, for the one who seeks after him. In verse 11 he says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In the days of dark, he illuminates as a sun. In the days of danger, he protects as a shield. In the days of shame and obscurity, he dignifies, bestowing favor and honor. And then in the days of empty, he lavishes. No good thing does he withhold. A worshiper rests in that truth, no matter what the circumstance he finds himself in. Maybe you're thinking, though, my struggle is not to believe in his ability to be those things, but rather his desire. Maybe you doubt that the promise of the psalm is for you. Why should I have the confidence of the son of Korah? Why should I have the confidence that the psalmist has? Read on, you say. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That seems hardly to be me. I know myself and my weaknesses and my sins and my failings. How would I claim this promise for me? Now, it is true that sometimes sins cause pangs and trouble, that, but that does not negate the promise of the psalm being applicable to us. His hand of correction is always given to His children for their good. We love Him even though our hearts are prone to wonder and how does he treat us? Romans 8, 31, 32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? <coughs> we are not among the upright because we are sinless. And the psalm applies to us because our faith is in the sinless one. That's why he, he gives this final blessing in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's what it means to walk uprightly. It means to be found among those who trust in him, who walk in dependence upon him. And so, Seb, as you go, may you trust that he will be a sun and a shield to you and that he will be all that you need. And church, what is next for us who remain? No good thing does he withhold. May we know the blessing of trusting in him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we long to be in your presence and to know your love, your grace, and your mercy. Very often our hearts do get distracted, Lord because of our, our sin and the worries and the cares of life, um, there are times where we do feel distant from you. And yet we know that you have told us that those who seek you find you. So we pray that you would give us what we need to seek in those troubled times. Give us what we need to dig out blessings in the valley of Baca. Lord, stir our hearts with a passion to know you more and to be closer to you. Stir in our hearts a passion for holiness. Bring repentance and a zeal to be putting sin to death. And Lord, may we be useful in your house in whatever capacity that looks like. We ask that you would use our lives for your glory, that others would be led to know you and to become worshippers of you as well. We pray in your holy name.